Welcome to RevAmp, the revenue amplification podcast powered by DealHub.io. I'm your host, Gideon Thomas, and we will be speaking to some of the most exciting revenue leaders within the community. Alex Miller, welcome to the RevAmp podcast. We're here and we are absolutely delighted to have you on the show today. For those people at home who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you before, can you just take a moment or two to introduce yourself, your role, and a little bit about your company? Yeah, thanks. Uh, first off, uh, thanks again for having me on. Super excited to be here. Um, but hey, everyone, uh, I'm Alex Miller, uh, Director of Revenue Operations at Sendoso. Um, for those of you maybe have heard of Sendoso, what we do is we help companies engage, convert, retain customers with strategic sending and gifting. So lots of fun things that come from direct mail, gifting, swag, uh, all that fun stuff. Um, we have at Sendoso just over 400 employees at the company, uh, mostly based in the Bay Area. And then we also have a big office out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I myself, I'm based in San Francisco. Uh, in my role, though, at Sendoso, looking after revenue operations, I look after all ops from everything from sales development, so super top of funnel, our first conversations with our prospects, uh, all the way through sales, account management, customer success. So everything from very top of funnel through very bottom of funnel. And I've been with the company for just a little under two years now. So uh, really excited to be here. Chat through more than Fantastic. And Alex, in, uh, in, in my research, I found out that not only are you uh, an avid RevOps professional, but you're also uh, equally a passionate skier. What's, uh, what's next on your horizon? Where do you want to travel next? Yeah, so uh, 2020 was fascinating in that the one trips that we were able to somehow pull off was to go skiing. I think uh, what a more perfect socially distant activity than to be up in a mountain. Uh, so uh, I'm living in San Francisco, the Lake Tahoe is kind of my home base, but um uh, a trip I'm really excited about taking hopefully in the next year or so is a trip to Japan to go skiing up there. So um, lots of planning to go into that and, uh, you know, more excited to travel now than uh, really ever before. So um, it's hard to believe it's already almost summertime and the sea season's over, but always looking forward to the next one. Fantastic, Alex. So today's uh, subject and topic that we're going to dig into is, is around tooling. And of course, uh, from what I understand from you, you're very much not only strategic, but also hands-on that you have that first-hand experience of perhaps selecting, deploying, connecting uh, the tools. And, and you guys at Sendoso uh, pride yourself on having like a deep and expansive uh, stack of technology. Maybe if we start at the, uh, at the top of the funnel, what are the first steps in, in kind of choosing the right tools for you? Where's your mindset and your prioritization at? Yeah, good question. And, um, you know, part of the unique part about how we've built our RevOps team is, you know, we don't have specialists just yet. I think what we've done is we've hired a really strong group of generalists who can administer tools, can think strategically, um, can implement, uh, can help troubleshoot issues with uh, end users. Uh, so it can really own kind of not just setting up the tools, evaluating the tools, but also making sure the data is flowing right. And ultimately, if there's any type of decision support that comes out of the tools, like we have a a really scrappy group of uh, you know operators who who keep the the lights on for everybody. But when we go about evaluating tools, it's it's a it's an interesting position that we find ourselves in, being within the Martech space, because you know we have um, other tools that we our own product integrates with. Uh, we have a lot of tools that we are customers of that are also customers of ours. So we tend to have a really close partnership with a lot of other tools within the sales and marketing space, which has lent ourselves to. Now, having a fairly, I'm not going to say heavy stack, but, uh, you know, a fairly robust um, stack. And, you know, one of the main things when we look at bringing a new tool aboard is just, you know, hey, what is the, what is the value that we intend to bring to our teams? 
what is the administrative burden on that tool? So making sure that we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot by bringing on this tool and not having uh, the right resourcing internally to support it. Um, but a lot of it's, uh, you know, our team works really closely with, you know, everyone from our SDRs to our account executives, to our CSMs, to our account managers. Um, you know, a lot of us actually used to do those roles ourselves. So like we really understand like what is a day in the life of an SDR and, you know, what are the parts of their life that we can probably automate or make, make a little cleaner and, and more efficient for them. So oftentimes when we're looking at tools, it's just scoping out like, hey, what is the impact we're trying to make um, in our teams that are going to be using the tools day to day? Uh, and then when I like to evaluate vendors, a lot of it's going out into the communities and like chatting with my peers. I mean, there's great tools out there services like G2, you know, you can go, um, you know, ser services that will do interviews with uh, current customers and kind of report back to you. Um, but I love chatting with other RevOps professionals. I think like I'm, I'm no stranger to like sending someone to another company, a cold email and saying, Hey, I saw that you're on so-and-so's website. I'd love to just chat with you for 10 minutes. If you got it around how your experience using this tool and, you know, one of the perks of working at Sendoso is we could always send a nice thank you uh, as a response to that. Mm -hmm. We'll call it a lead gen tool because I don't get paid for that. But, uh, you know, it is a, a fun part of the job. But um, definitely, uh, I think when we evaluate tools, it, it's it's a lot of like uh, social validation, you know, thinking around like, hey, what are the what are our peers doing? Um, what are other companies that have solved this problem doing? That's usually the starting point for, you know, approaching vendors and having the conversations with them around, you know, here's our challenges. Can you talk to how your solution uh, can help us with that? Um, and then, you know, if we go through implementation and evaluation, a lot of it's, you know, fairly hands-on. We like to pull in like a small test group for most tools we bring on board. So we can have early validation that, you know, before we roll it out to a team of 30 SDRs, you know, we can test something with a small group and make sure that we fine tune it before we bring it out to a broader team. Um, but uh, there's so many different types of tools out there in the MarTech landscape these days that, you know, anything from data providers to you know, sales engagement platforms to CPQ tools to, you know, data providers, enrichment vendors, um, you know, it's really understanding saying, hey, what is the business impact we're trying to make by either looking at a vendor or no vendor? Sometimes it's a matter of we need to go retool process. Um, but I think, you know, the take home there is as much as we can involve end users in our own company, we try to, and as much as we can validate um, that the solution is the right fit for us by talking to peers, um, that's what, uh, so it makes me sleep a little bit better at night knowing that, Hey, you know, someone, in another company I really respect and know, uh, knows this role, uh, has gone through the gauntlet to evaluate it to and bring it on board for their company. So you've hinted at something here, Alex, but you haven't said it explicitly. I've heard in the last 12 months, for example, some kind of CFOs talking about consolidating spend and connecting the stack. Mm-hmm. It feels like the mindset of, of the leadership that you work with has been more about making the investment uh, with an eye to maybe the impact and not managing the, bu the budget maybe as the primary motive for a decision. Help me to understand the kind of uh, the mindset, the leadership mindset that's empowering that tool selection, because I think you've hinted at it and it's an important clue right there. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we evaluate tools. You know, like I said, we're, we're a company that, you know, our very founding ethos as a company, our two co-founders were um, sales professionals before they became co-founders. So like we have a lot of go-to-market DNA at the highest levels of our company. And I think that's, that's something that at least from companies I've worked at is super unique. And it's, it's what gets me fired up to come to work every day because from the very top down, it's a very go-to-market centric uh, mindset leadership team. And mm -hmm. therefore, you know, when we're looking at vendors, like I think it's there, you definitely want to be cost conscious to an extent. 
And I think for us, um, you know, we're, we're an experimental company. Like we're down to try new things. Uh, if there's a new vendor out there that does something unique, like, you know, we'll give it a try. And I think a lot of, um, you know, some companies that maybe I've worked at previously or other companies out there, like maybe uh, too conservative, especially in times like we're in today, uh, where it's like, hey, you know, we're tightening the purse strings a bit. And maybe we don't want to try making you know, bigger investments or buy tools that we, frankly, you know, maybe we're stretching on. Um, but we've taken a different approach then. I think being experimental and trying new things is actually um, what's kind of got us to where we are today. Like our co-founders, um, when they started Sendoso, like that was an experimental project. Like what happens if you send someone a Starbucks gift card before a meeting? Do you think they're going to show up and, and have a more engaged meeting? Like, and the truth is they have. So, you know, to answer your question more explicitly, like we like out at, at vendors, like, you know, we're definitely cost conscious. And like I said, a lot of that social validation that goes to say, hey, like this is the right vendor for us. And even if there's some uncertainties around, this is what they do, you know, we're still trying to develop that part of our business, but here's a tool that might help us get there, um, goes a long way. And I think, uh, like I said, we're fortunate enough to have an exact team that, um, you know, forces us or at least pushes us to think outside the box. And, uh, you know, we like to think that we, in the sending plat uh, category that we're in today, like our, you know, there's not a lot of our customers have done, um, you know, sending and gifting you know, with a tool before. So a lot of the tools that, uh, that, you know, a lot of our customers and prospects come to us are looking to do something for the first time. So, you know, it's part of our ethos to be curious and, and try something new and just be, be experimental, frankly. So I get all of that and that, and that's great, but how you gave me, I think a, a prior example before this, um, whereby I think it was an ABM solution. You guys yeah. had maybe four vendors and you chose how many? <laughs> Almost all four. Um, and part of that is, uh, so how does, how, yeah, yeah, how does that happen? Cause that's unusual. Not, not that I'm criticizing. I'm just interested. Yeah. I think for us, um, being in the MarTech space, we not only look at a lot of these, you know, vendors, uh, as just vendors, but also partners. So, you know, we, um, use actually a handful of tools to share our open sales pipeline with some of those, uh, other, uh, you know, prospective partners. We can compare, um, customer lists and oftentimes just building that deeper partnership, sometimes being like, Hey, you know, you guys use us. We'll use you. Um, therefore, we know what that better together story looks like. And we can actually, and very successfully, um, do have strong co-selling motions for a lot of these vendors. So you know, when we were out looking at ABM uh, orchestration tools, like, you know, there are a handful of lead players out there. And, you know, we had some existing relationships with more or less all of them. And, you know, not that we wanted to bring bloat into our stack intentionally, but you know, we are using certain vendors for certain plays. And um, like I said, as part of that, there's, you know, in, uh, in 2021 in the B2B SaaS world, um, you know, if you're only, if you're only a vendor, um, you're probably not doing enough. Uh, I think that there's so much, um, you know, let's say thought uh, sharing or um, strategy sharing, or frankly, like, you know, if you have a more robust partner program, like let's go to market together. Like let's, let's tell us how, our product and, and our partner's product together um, actually solve a lot more than our two products independently. Um, and I think when we look at bringing some vendors on board, we look holistically at not only the value it brings to our company, but also the value of a deeper partnership with that particular vendor. And that may be somewhat unique to our business, but I think that's um, something that has worked well for us thus far, which is again, you know, not just looking at vendors as vendors, but looking at them as strategic partners and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, how can we, um, by nature of both using our products as a, as an assist point, uh, you know, how can we help ourselves, um, you know, get to where we need to go. Hmm. That's fascinating. So you've touched a little bit so far on kind of a very little bit on MarTech, a little bit on kind of some of the, uh, 
the SDR tools. Anything more that you'd like to share further down the pipe as you kind of get into the, uh, the sales domain before we even get to customer success? Yeah, so I think what's um, really was a changing point for us in 2020, um, you know, a little bit about our business is, you know, a lot of, um, you know, companies that we work with, uh, let's rewind back to say January or February of, of 2020, you know, a lot of the customers or prospects we were working with were saying, you know, yeah, we go out to, uh, you know, conferences and you know, we have a booth in a conference hall and, uh, you know, we, we build a material amount of our pipeline for the year by people coming up to us at a booth and like, you know, getting to know us for the first time and they're probably taking a meeting from there. So there was a, obviously a pretty momentous shift that happened when, you know, there were no conferences anymore and people were sitting in their living rooms um, and, you know, companies and field marketers not really knowing like, hey, what do we do next? So uh, Sendoso and like gifting is a, um, you know, is a tactic, um, you know, kind of came into the forefront as, again, as an experimental, uh, you know, experimental process to say, hey, how can we go to those folks who normally we meet in a conference halls instead of having them come to us? Um, but um, you know, we, we drive, we have a fairly, um, you know, well-built out sales development function. Like I said, our Scottsdale office is really our hub for our SDR team. And, um, you know, one thing that ops does to, again, go after those folks um, that, you know, saying, Hey, like you're probably in a pinch right now and like sending and help there. Um, ops tries to steer that SDR team as best we can by really managing uh, our Salesforce database. So what I mean by that is you can have every, um, you know, sales engagement platform out there, but if you really don't know who you're supposed to be going after and why, um, you know, you have a lot of tools, but you really don't know uh, how to go deploy them or where to go deploy them uh, to make some real, you know, pipeline results. So a big changing point for us in 2020 was really getting tactical about how we tear up our database. And that started with, um, from an ops perspective, one, making sure that we have data providers that can get the right. Um, addressable market that we believe to be the right fits for us into our mm -hmm. Salesforce instance, get those accounts enriched with contact data. So like, Hey, you know, we know the personas we sell to, how can we make yep. sure that those accounts are built out with those folks? And then lastly, like running um, some, pr some pretty basic, but very effective um, tiering and prioritization. So that means that not all accounts are created equal. That means that, you know, if you're uh, an SDR and we give you say 500 accounts to work and prospect, where do you start and where do you, where do you finish? So uh, a huge tactic for us last year was getting really tactical about how we tear up our database and prioritize it. So while that's not necessarily a tool itself, um, it's an incredibly strong strategy that drives how we use all of our tools. So, you know, in, in as many words, um, you know, we've, we had a, a pretty successful 2020, you know, very fortunate to be in that position, but a lot of that comes back to those early, um, you know, days in March of last year where people were panicking and said, Hey, you know, what we really need to do right now is get really focused on what are the industries and companies that we know are good fits for us? Um, mm -hmm. What's this really strong messaging that we can deliver that's super relevant to, you know, what's happening outside of our companies at the moment? Um, and again, really focus on prioritizing uh, where our team should be spending their time. And that paid off dividends for us last year. And again, you know, I talked about this in some other, um, you know, capacities and you don't need a big ops team or you don't need like a lot of tools to do. Uh, you know, account tiering and prioritization could purely be a matter of, you know, you could buy a tool like a Clearbit or an EverString or Zoom Info, and you can say, hey, like, let's just know the industries that we sell to. And let's say if it's a B2B SaaS company, that's tier one. 
if it's a hardware manufacturing company, that's tier two, right. you know, and if it's in the manufacturing space, maybe that's tier three and we want to deprioritize those. So mm-hmm. um, that was a huge strategy for us last year that paid off. And I think uh, that all starts uh, up funnel. And of course, the benefits of that cascade downward all the way through, you know, are we signing the right customers and are they the right customers that can uh, one retain and two expand? So it was, um, you know, an exercise that I would, I would challenge every RevOps leader or every sales leader, or marketing leader uh, to go out there and, and make sure that you're doing that. Um, because if you do, uh, of course, like, you know, there's a lot of good results to come from that. That's awesome. And did you, uh, did you have to make adjustments to your pricing or the way that you organized your pricing strategy in 2020 as a result? Yeah, it probably wasn't as a direct result of what was happening in 2020, but we did learn a lot from, I think, um, how customers and companies were buying during that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did make some iterations to our pricing uh, in a good way. Um, you know, I say there's a, iterations to pricing are always a good thing, um, at least you hope. Uh, but we did make some changes to our pricing um, and, and we actually paired that um, with rolling out a CPQ tool to help, of course, make that nice and easy mm-hmm. um, in January of this year. So uh, we've been off and running pretty strong now for you know four months and change so far uh, in 2021. Um, but I think the newest addition to our stack has been uh, you know, bringing aboard you know, DealHub and uh, you know, working through a tool that helps manage pricing changes, which are, can always be somewhat sticky uh, for sellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can put that clearly inside of a tool that kind of shepherds people through building out new agreements compliantly, mm-hmm. um, that's been a big boost for us so far for this year. And then beyond pricing, has there been a handshake with customer success? What have you guys been doing on that side of things? I know for, for many others, subscription management, renewals, et cetera, have been a big deal, especially when it's been tough for them to acquire new business. Yeah. Um, given that you're, you've given us a pretty comprehensive uh, answer so far, I'm guessing that is not a blind spot, but you guys are doing something there too. Yeah. So uh, our business has a couple components to it. There's a SaaS component and then you know, of course, there's actually how people are using our product and what are they sending and, you know, to whom and, and, and what values. So there's a lot of um, data that comes into our, our post-sale uh, part of our business. So that's always been a, a challenge for us that we've been spending the last uh, year or so uh, fine-tuning. You know, it started with, you know, we have a data warehouse. It's more or less our product backend that we've had, uh, you know, some BI tools. We were able to visualize that, mm-hmm. uh, but that's not always like the most, uh, let's say, end user friendly experience like CSMs. You know, they're navigating data in Salesforce, looking at renewal data there. Um, sometimes it could be somewhat cumbersome to jump into a BI platform and, and try to glean more insights from those particular tools. So we're actually in the process right now of rolling out a customer success platform. Uh, we just purchased Catalyst and we're really excited about uh, what that's going to bring to our teams, just to bring a lot of the commercial data that we have in Salesforce, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the usage data that we have that's coming off of our product backend, mm-hmm. and putting those in one super simple, easy to use interface where they can run plays for retention, for expansion. Um, so we're really bullish and really excited about bringing that tool board. And um, you know, like I said, we're just just kicking things off now, but uh, we're really bullish. That it's going to make a big impact for the second half of this year for us. That's awesome. And I, I've been thinking as as you've been sharing. Uh, in terms of the acquisition of, of, of tools and technologies, do you follow whether cognizant, uh, you know, whether you're aware of it or not, a pattern of you know Q1 is about enablement, Q3 is about maybe execution. Do you have kind of an implicit I look for these type of tools in these courses, kind of following the, the natural financial year of each company? Yeah, it may not be something that you uh, that you plan for, but it may just be that those are the totally. the precious targets or KPIs that you have to hit. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we buy, we, we buy tools, uh, 
you know, more or less year round, but I think there's definitely some cycles that we go through. I think about, you know, Q4 is obviously a big year uh, or a big part of the year for um, many companies, both, you know, that's when, at least for us, that's when sales is trying to drive uh, and close out their fiscal year. Um, but for us as well, it's when we're looking into next year and saying, hey, where were the blind spots that we had in our stack? Uh, you know, what, what's a process we need to retool for next year? Uh, and Q4 is usually when we're out looking for what do we need to, what do we need to bring on board that's going to get us where we need to go next year that maybe we didn't have for this last year. Mm. I know um, just in, in this last Q4 of 2020, like we you know did a pretty serious market check across a handful of vendors, and we actually brought on. Uh, almost all of the ones that we were looking at, um, you know, around, you know, lead routing and management, uh, data enrichment providers, CPQ. Mm -hmm. So Q4 was a big implementation period for us, largely because, of course, if we turn the page into, um, into Q1, uh, our teams are heavy on things like sales kickoff. Uh, there's a ton of focus on enablement, lots of things focused on. Right. Uh, this is the strategy that's going to be different or new or refreshed uh, for, for the next year. And, um, you know, all of the SKOs that I've been a part of, there's always new tool trainings and strategy shifts with existing tools. So we look pretty heavily in Q4 as, as a, a buying period. I think um, some of the dangers you can fall into when you're trying to buy tools year round is like, there's not always, um, you know, your sales team, it doesn't exactly uh, uptake um, learning new tools uh, consistently throughout the year. Right. Right. There are periods for us, like I like to say the last month of any quarter is just kind of let the team go do their thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we can always regroup in the first month of a new quarter. So we tend to see some uh, more, more smaller cycles around beginnings of quarters, just again, around the idea of kickoffs and summarizing results and retrospectives about what worked, what didn't. Um, so we see, so uh, I see uh, strong cycles um, that tend to be on that timeline, but uh you know, like I said, if there's a real need, um, of course, we could break that and saying, hey, like there's something out there that we think is going to solve an immediate pain. And of course, um, that stuff tends to kind of be more ad hoc. Okay. So I was trying to get a sense. You gave me a good sense of Q1, Q4, and maybe the wider kind of step back. Q2, what's the, what's the general mindset in Q2? Just Yeah. Q2 is always, um, hey, we're off and running. You know, Q1 is behind us. Oftentimes, uh, you know, Q1 is always an interesting carryover from, you know, Q4. I think there's a lot of uh, good distractions that happen in Q1. It's a lot of, you know, hey, you know, we had SKO, people, you know, holidays, um, lots of different uh, things. Q2 is usually like, okay, you know, most SaaS companies have targets that increase quarter over quarter. So Q2 is when it's like, okay, we've got one quarter behind us. Uh, we have a bigger target in Q2 than we have to do in Q1. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a lot of the, let's just say distractions to say, um, you know, we're going to have a compressed quarter because we're spending a week doing SKO. Yep. So Q2 is really where it's time to start pushing the gas pedal a little bit harder, especially as you start gearing up for, you know, ends of Q2, which can tend to be travel, people on vacation, uh, summertime looming, you know, schools getting out, um, really just trying to understand like what's happening maybe outside of the business and understand like how your buyers are buying. And so Q2 for us is always a, um, a bit of a nose to the grindstone quarter uh, just to say, hey, like there's no distractions like we had in Q1. We're enabled, we're kicked off. Now it's time to go put that to use. Hmm. Very good. So Alex, is there any questions that I should have asked you today with regards to kind of uh, enabling your, your tech stack? Anything that I missed in terms of you summarizing and, and sharing your insight? experience yeah i think um you know one thing it's, it's probably not so much of a, a question gideon as it is more uh, of a commentary and i promise you i won't go into a, a long history of my background but 
Um, I like to think I started out my career in the best job you could possibly have in a go-to-market company, which is as an SDR. Um, you know, and through a funny, a couple funny twists and turns. Yeah. So did I. Yeah. The best way. <laughs> um, I guess I joke, it's the best job I've ever had. Um, but, uh, you know, through a fun, couple funny twists and turns, I found myself at a company where, um, you know, I was the SDR and the AE and the CSM and the support person. And in order to effectively do that, we had to go buy tools and set them up. And, you know, we were a 15 person company. And so that was kind of my first foray getting over into ops. Um, and it was something mm-hmm. where, you know, it was a it kind of nights and weekends project that I was working on. It's like, hey, you know, I'm going to prospect all day and try to set up Salesforce at night. And, uh, you know, those were some fun early days that you get curious about saying, hey, you know, ops is my path. Um, but one thing I, I always, um, you know, I'm very thankful for is there are, lots, there are a lot of awesome communities out there of like other RevOps professionals. I know I mentioned a little bit earlier when we're, you know, evaluating products like tapping into a peer networks, but I can't under understate that for anybody who's earlier in their ops career, um, you know, there's, you don't go to college and get a degree in RevOps and like come out like a boot camp, like you're ready to go. You know, there's no, um, you know, coding academies that you can go to to come out with a, a fresh degree in, in RevOps certification. So a lot of learning um, and understanding like, how do you do this job effectively is, is not by reading a book. It's by like listening to your peers and getting involved in communities. So um, I like to always, uh, you know, plug a couple, you know, always think of modern sales pros, wizard of ops, you know, rev genius, revenue collective, um, you know, rev ops co-op. There's a long list of them out there. Uh, so I always love to, you know, just at least plug that, you know, Hey, if you're early in your rev ops career and you're still trying to figure out like, how does this job work? Or even if you're, you know, late in your career and you're just trying to like talk shop with other like-minded people, um, there are a lot of awesome communities out there that, especially as of 2020, moved a lot of their um, interactions with their members into like Slack communities. So, you know, what that's done is there are people around the globe now that are sharing their ideas. And what I love about doing this type of work is, is nobody is, is so, um, you know, overly confident that they are 100% correct. So everyone's very humble about sharing, you know, hey, here's where I tried this and it didn't go so well. And, you know, I think I you know, always love to pay it forward because I've learned so much from those same communities. So for anyone out there that's, you know, still learning earlier in their career or even middle or later in their career, just looking for new ideas, like get involved, like reach out to your communities and stay connected. And you know, even if you're a, a passive listener or observer, there's a ton of value you can get from doing that. So uh, that was a, a, a strange answer to your question, Gideon, but I figure one that, you know, for anybody out there who's trying to figure this out, uh, you're not alone. I appreciate it, Alex. I appreciate uh, your candid kind of authentic response to everything that we've thrown at you today. Uh, a ton of value there. Uh, it's great to see that you're confident and bold enough to be, be able and willing to talk about the stack. A lot of people kind of dodge those kind of questions for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. wishing you tons of continued success, uh, you and, and the rest of the team over at Sendoso. And, uh, and thank you so much for from myself and all of the, uh, the RevAmp team for coming on board here and and sharing and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this to just follow you on LinkedIn, ask, uh, ask any questions if they want to learn more from you and, uh, and reach out from there. So thanks a lot, Alex. And it's, it's been our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks. This is great. Thanks for having me.